I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How can house sales be increasing when mortgage approvals and house prices are falling? When is a cautious managed fund not a cautious managed fund? And what should parents of students be doing, renting or buying university digs? All of these conundrums will be answered in the next 15 minutes in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Alice Ross. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hi. And our special studio guest, Chris Andrew, Director of Clarmond Advisors. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, yet more housing market data has been published, and it's a pretty confusing picture. First, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors reported its first negative reading on house prices in a year, with more surveyors reporting falling prices than rising ones. Then finderproperty.com reported that average asking prices fell 0.7% in August as unsold housing stock levels rose for a seventh consecutive month. But according to the Council of Mortgage Lenders, lending for house purchases picked up sharply in June, reaching its highest level since last November, a time when house prices were rising strongly. And property transactions increased for a second consecutive month in July by 11%, according to LSL and Academetrics. So, Tanya, I'm really quite confused by all this. <laughs> what do you think is going on? It does seem to be quite uncertain. Obviously, we've got a lot of conflicting data out there at the moment. Um, obviously, the Royal Institution Chartered Surveyors, that came out on Monday, and obviously they're predicting for the first time for a year that um, you know there's more house price, well, house price falls. And this actually kind of um, sort of backs up similar data we've seen from Nationwide House Price Index, which, like a a few weeks ago, also reported a 0.5% fall in July. And also we had Home Track House Price Index, which also reported like a fall in July of about 0.1%, I think it was. So we've had quite a lot of data that has seemed to be signaling there's going to be, you know, not kind of a bit of a more negative outlook for the housing market. Um, but then we've also had data recently from the Council of Mortgage Lenders, as you mentioned, and um, also Halifax, which is another popular house price index, um, actually reported a rise for July. So the problem is actually a lot of these um, data and indexes um, actually look at different sort of sources of information and data. So this is why you've got quite a lot of conflicting um, information. A lot of people seem to be saying that actually these kind of monthly figures, it's a bit misleading because, you know, um, month to month, everything seems to be a little bit rocky. And there's quite a lot of people who are just a bit unconcerned, like concerned about where the house market is going. Um, a lot of people will seem to say that also the summer months tend to be a bit quieter, quieter. so you can't really um, judge the performance by the summer months, and September actually is going to be a bit more of the, the crucial month. 
So we need to wait, really, because I, I, I suppose a lot of um, these findings, especially the nationwide and the Halifax uh, indices, will be based on not that many transactions. I know that no. there have been more transactions uh, <laughs> according to the uh, LSL academetrics figures, but these are not large numbers of house sales, are they? No, and we've actually also seen the CML come out today and say that um, they've actually said they're revising down with their forecast for the year of gross lending. So previously they thought there was going to be 150 billion of gross lending. Now they've actually reduced that down by 10 billion um, to 140 billion. So they're actually saying that um, gross lending levels are going to be much more similar to what it was last year. And there was this previous expectation because we've seen this kind of recent house market recovery from the second half last year and sort of beginning of this year, people did seem to think that actually this year would be a lot better. But it seems to be that this housing market recovery we have seen has started to slow down. And it's not just in, you know, the overall market, even in prime London, we're seeing the same. So even though um, there's been this, this increase in lending, it's the it's the banks and building societies with their sort of hand on the on the tap, if you like, who are effectively controlling the market. Would that, would that be your view? Yeah, I mean, that that plays an important part, of course, because um, a lot of people um, have been unable to buy a house because of the fact that they haven't been able to access as much mortgage finance as previously. Um, the other thing is, obviously, we've got a lot more sellers come onto the market. Um, we've had the home information packs um, basically banned um, earlier on this year, so that caused a lot more sellers to come onto the market. Um, and at the same time, we'll see the election kind of causes uncertainty. So since then, we've seen quite a lot large influx. And actually, the demand there isn't kind of as great as actually the amount of sellers on the market. Um, and also kind of the outlook for mortgage finance doesn't seem to be getting any better. Um, we've obviously got the um, FSA's um, responsible lending paper they've put out recently. So it's kind of worries that there's going to be further restriction in actually what type of mortgages people can, can actually get from lenders. So a lot of work for people uh, who are trying to move house to do in terms of organising their finance Tanya, thank you very much uh, for that and for more on what's going on in the property market, including how bridging loans can uh, help get you moving. Um, Look out for Tanya's articles in FT Money with this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, should you pay your children's rent or mortgage when they're at university? First, though, managed funds. This week, the Investment Management Association announced that it's going to review the definition of different fund sectors to make it easier for investors to compare funds. But research into fund holdings has shown that many fund sector names are already largely meaningless or misleading because the fund managers don't actually stick to the definitions such as UK equity income or absolute return. Alice, you've been having a look at this, and if sector definitions are going to be ignored, choosing a fund is just going to get really quite difficult or potentially quite dangerous, isn't it? It could be potentially dangerous if you're putting your money uh, somewhere where you don't realise where it's being invested. I mean, you you know, everyone has an investment plan for their money and you want to know how much is going into equities and how much is going into bonds and all this sort of stuff. And if you think that you're investing in a fund that's going to deliver that for you and it's not doing what it says on the tin, then that can be quite dangerous. And and Chris, I think you've been looking at this. Perhaps the best example of this is um, what's called the cautious managed sector. Mm -hmm. So you have all of these cautious managed funds, which to me sounds quite uh, a safe place to put your money. 
Well, that's what you'd hope it would be. Both those words fill you with a uh, com- comforting feeling. Um, I, I looked at this sector because I looked at, was starting looking at risk uh, originally, uh, because I think a lot of investors during 2008, 2009 were taking a lot of risk that they didn't realize they were taking. Mm. The investment managers were taking risk on their behalf, and they view risk very differently to, um, to how investors view risk. Investors view risk as losing money investment managers view risk as a number, a volatility number or a standard deviation, which is irrelevant to investors, I think. So I thought, well, I'll look at the cautious managed sector because that'll give me a nice uh, area that I can safely advise clients to put their money. And I found an area that was rife with problems. That's putting it politely, I think. It was, uh, you, you can look at the funds there and uh, they range from funds, some funds having 73% in equities, including international and all over the world equities, down to some funds having, you know, less than 10%, hmm. uh, all called cautious managed. That's very, very confusing. So uh, if I, you know, I, I banged this past my mother, who's a typical investor, <laughs> and she thought, well, cautious managed should mean, you know, should be cautious and should be, you know, conservatively managed. That's what you're given. And seventy-three percent equity. Seventy-three percent is just is, is a bit of lunacy, really. I think in, in, in both those terms. Um, so that's 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 worrying because if a client's wanting to mitigate risk, take risk out of their portfolio they will be wanting to lower their equity exposure. And it is conceivable, if they got it wrong, that they could be increasing their equity exposure if they go from one fund to the wrong fund, cautious managed fund. They could be actually increasing their risk. And that seems uh, remarkable. And it's not just the cautious managed sector that's showing kind of signs of um, disarray. I mean, I think the other popular sector that comes up in people's minds when we're talking about misleading funds is absolute return, which, again, to the man on the street might sound like you were going to get a guaranteed return on your investment. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like to me, but that's not it either, is it? The the absolute return sector, uh, I looked at uh, slightly uh, more briefly, uh, but uh, it it shocked me slightly more more because to me, absolute return covers the sort of alternative investments that uh, some hedge fund managers invest in and these sort of areas. And they're they're very valid and they're very suitable investments for this for this time. Um, But you know, in that sector, you had uh, some emerging market debt funds that were up 30% in 2008. I mean, it's bananas. <laughs> uh, you had funds that were, you know, it's just, it's just a complete mismatch. Mm. And so if you were looking at that sector as a whole and saying, I'm going to invest in the best performing fund in 2008 in the absolute return sector, you would have invested in an emerging market debt fund. Mm, which doesn't which, sound like an which absolute Which is not return an absolute return fund. fund, as we all know. <laughs> we can all tell that's not an absolute return fund. No, that's a, that's a debt fund. So... What can investors do about this? I mean, the IMA has said this week that it is reviewing the definitions of these sectors, so hopefully it's going to become a bit more clear to investors. In the meantime, what can you do if you have a cautious managed fund or an absolute return fund and you take a look at it and think, well, this isn't at all what I thought I bought? Then sell it and go to cash. Simple as that. There's mm-hmm. no there's no harm in having cash in this market at all. Um, and that's, you know, you're not, there's no inflation or very little inflation. You're not being hurt by having cash. So go to cash, look around, find your returns that you fund that you like look at their fact sheets ask your manager to send them to you or whatever however you get mm. them and read them and keep monitoring them and make sure you, you're comfortable with the risks that are, that are in them mm. um, and it'll be a matter of how much equity cash and bond holdings they have
Mm. And that's all fairly straightforward for investors to it's find out. It's straightforward, but, but it's a little bit, uh, that it's more than they'd be doing up to date, probably. Mm. Okay, so do a little bit of extra work and then you might find that then your portfolio safe. is working for you a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you have to sort of look inside the tin, don't you, uh, with, with a lot of these fund sectors. Thanks very much for that, um, Chris and Alice. And for more on the funds that don't do what it says on the outside of the tin, uh, look out for Alice's article in FT Money this weekend and online at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, university housing. If your children are awaiting their A-level results and expecting to achieve the five A's that will secure them a place at the University of Rutland, it may be worth thinking about where they're going to live, as you're going to have to pay for it. And renting grotty digs is not necessarily the cheaper option, according to new research. Parents may end up better off buying a property and renting it out to students to pocket the yield and possible capital appreciation. Now, Tanya, I can see this being cost-effective in some of the smaller university towns, but perhaps not, you know, with a house in the centre of Cambridge, say. Um, No, that's true. I mean... One of the things, I think there's several factors that actually parents have to consider. And um, with Cambridge, it's one of those universities where actually um, students tend to live in, in actual student accommodation for the whole period, rather than after the first year having to look for you know private rented accommodation. So Cambridge generally doesn't make sense from that point. And it also tends to be one of those more kind of... Um, costly places to actually buy a property. So there's several factors that parents have to look at. I mean, research that Savills have done has actually shown that um, places like Birmingham, Nottingham, Durham, um, Warwick University, obviously in Coventry, um, these tend to be actually the most cost-effective places to actually buy. So that's obviously a first important factor to see if you can actually afford buying a property in one of these places. Um, then it's worth actually looking at um, what kind of yield you might get. So in terms of after your kid um, sort of uses the property and at university and then leaves, um, whether it's actually going to be a good investment potential. And again, places like Nottingham and um, Birmingham are actually providing quite high yields of, say, 7%, 6%. So you're going to get quite a good income return from that. This could be an an investment property that you then keep on for for many years afterwards, presumably. That's true. I mean, and especially in some of these um, city centres in the north, we've seen actually um, there was obviously during the boom quite a lot of these developments of new build properties, uh, or new build flats, um, which have some of them have plummeted as much as forty percent um, during the downturn. So, also you're actually going to get quite a lot of um, sort of a good good discount on these type of properties. What sort of tenants do students make, though? I wouldn't fancy renting out a property to students. It sounds like a bit of a nightmare. Well, that's the other thing that you have to look at. Obviously, with renting out a property to students, if you're going to turn it into a proper student property, there's lots of um, legal requirements that you need to do. You obviously need to put, like, um, proper fire doors on and also kind of just sort of... I think it's, it requires different specifications. Mm. So it's it's also, I mean, this is kind of typically a mum and dad buying for, say, just their child to live mm. in, rather than actually sort of getting other people to kind of rent in and actually do it as a formal student accommodation. Obviously, once your child leaves, you would then have to kind of look to kind of um, actually change it to a proper student let if you wanted to. But, I mean, in some of these um, city areas, you're actually getting quite a high demand for, for student accommodation. I think partly um, the downturn has actually seen um, students go into these new build flats, actually, and it's kind of broadened out the the areas where students will live. And actually, the occupancy rates are actually quite high and void rates aren't, aren't that bad. And which particular towns um, does buying just not make sense? You know, we've already talked about... Uh, Cambridge, but are there other uh, parts of the country, other university towns where 
prices are just much higher than you know, the rent would cost. Yeah, well, there's places like um, obviously Edinburgh and Brighton and obviously Oxford. These are places where the cost of property is much more expensive. Um, and you're likely the yields tend to be much lower around more sort of three, four percent. Um, but again, this is an, this is where property agents say actually, if you hold it for a long term investment, say um, more than seven years, you're going to see a higher capital appreciation on those type of properties. So it really depends on how much you want to hold it as an investment potential. And I think lots of people just see renting as kind of money down the drain, and they feel that this is the way they actually can kind of have a nice accommodation for their kids. They don't have to worry about them having to stay in grotty digs, um, and then at the end of it, they also get a nice capital gain. Yes, best of both worlds. Although I think Alice's point about would you want students as tenants is a, is a good point. The FT Money columnist, uh, Merrin Somerset-Webb, the reason she couldn't bear the, the, the house that she was renting in Edinburgh is because it was formerly occupied by five students and never felt clean, apparently. Anyway, thank you very much for that, uh, Tanya, and for a map of the uh, university towns in the UK um, where it's a good place to buy and also uh, better off to rent look out for tanya's article in saturday's ft money section but that's all for this week's ft money show remember you will find weekday news updates and all of these stories on our website ft.com forward slash money and if you have a question that you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances just email us we will answer all of your questions or ask financial experts to do so on the reader's questions page of FT Money. The service is free of charge and anonymous. All you have to do is send your questions to money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Tanya, Alice and our special guest, Chris Andrew of Clarmond Advisors. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.